You're listening to Hidden History, and I'm your host, Ellis Tucci. If you know any way that we can improve our content for you, the listener, drop us a line at hiddenhistory.show forward slash contact. Hidden History is sponsored by Bulletin Technologies, LLC, and the Alexandria Initiative. To learn about how you can fly for a fraction of the cost of commercial, visit bulletinflights.com. Tune into future episodes to hear all about the exciting new educational tech being developed by Alexandria. To catch up on all our past episodes and hear new ones every Wednesday, head on over to hiddenhistory.show and learn something new today. On December 18, 1888, one man would be born in New Haven, Connecticut that would grow to have power over mayors, governors, and a president. He bent democracy to his will, and, for better or for worse, shaped the face of the American city for centuries to come. This episode is part one in a three-part series on the rise and fall of that very man. This is Hidden History, and you're listening to episode 20, Bob the Builder, part one. It's time for the Longines Chronoscope, a television journal of the important issues of the hour, brought to you every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. A presentation of the Longines Whitnor Watch Company, maker of Longines, the world's most honored watch, and Whitnor, distinguished companion to the world-honored Longines. Good evening, this is Frank Knight. May I introduce our co-editors for this edition of the Longines Chronoscope? Mr. William Bradford Huey, noted author and analyst, and Mr. Hardy Burt, noted author and correspondent. Our distinguished guest for this evening is Mr. Robert Moses, the nation's foremost city planner. Mr. Moses, of course, you've had many years <coughs> of experience in New York, both the city and state, as a planner of parkways and housing. I'm sure that our viewers tonight would like to hear you talk about some of the public planning problems, particular uh, traffic and housing and parkways. Now, sir, uh, how does the nation stand as regards road building? Are we falling behind on roads or are we keeping up? No, we're way behind. <coughs> We've been falling behind steadily for years and uh, now the <coughs> situation is more or less desperate. <clears throat> the fact is that unless we begin to, uh, unless we launch a, a new program, a much larger program, we're going to face a situation where we can't accommodate the output of cars. Is some of that due to the to the second war, sir, and to the money yes, we spent there? Yes, stoppage of uh, almost complete stoppage of road building during the Second World War. But it's been a steady. Uh, we've been falling behind steadily. Well, you say the situation is desperate now, sir. C could you estimate for our viewers how much money it would take uh, spent by the entire nation, states, cities, and country? How I much would it would take for us to catch up? between 45 and 55 billion dollars. That isn't a figure. Those aren't figures taken out of the air. They represent the <coughs> adding up the uh, programs of the several states as approved by the federal government. How far is New York State, for instance, behind <coughs> the one that you are particularly concerned with? Well, our, our program uh, 
uh, involves an expenditure of about three billion, uh, close to three billion and a half dollars. From an early age, Robert Moses decided to dedicate his life to public service, to good government. He held power in New York from 1924 to 1968, and somewhere along the way, the dream of a good government died, replaced by the pursuit of power for its own sake. At the zenith of his power, he held simultaneously 12 different titles in city and state government, none of them elected. He turned the graft of New York previously the unorganized Tammany Hall political machine, into a science, a well-oiled engine that supplemented his power and enriched his incredibly vast and secretive empire. This episode serves only to introduce the character of Robert Moses, the iron-willed, stubborn, theatrical, deeply racist man that molded the urban landscape of America on his whim. Much of the information in these three episodes comes from Robert Caro's 1974 Pulitzer Prize-winning classic, The Power Broker, Robert Moses and the Fall of New York. To truly conceive the scale of Moses' influence is almost impossible, so I'd like to read you a passage from The Power Broker that just scratches the surface of what he did to New York. Robert Carroll writes, Robert Moses shaped New York. Physically, any map of the city proves it. The very shoreline of Metropolis was different before Robert Moses came into power. He rammed bulkheads of steel deep into the muck beneath rivers and harbors and crammed into the space beneath bulkheads and shore immensities of earth and stone, shale and cement that hardened into 15,000 acres of new land and thus altered the physical boundaries of the city. Standing out from the map's delicate tracery of gridirons representing streets are heavy lines lines girdling the city or slashing across its expanses. These lines denote the major roads on which automobiles and trucks move. Roads whose very location, moreover, does as much as any single factor to determine where and how a city's people live and work. With a single exception, the East River Drive, Robert Moses built every one of these roads. He built the major Deegan Expressway, the Van Wyck Expressway, the Sheridan Expressway, and the Bruckner Expressway. He built the Gowanus Expressway, the Prospect Expressway, the Whitestone Expressway, the Clearview Expressway, and the Throgs Neck Expressway. He built the Cross Bronx Expressway, the Brooklyn Queens Expressway, the Nassau Expressway, the Staten Island Expressway, and the Long Island Expressway. He built the Harlem River Drive and the West Side Highway. Only one borough of New York City, the Bronx, is on the mainland of the United States, and bridges link the island boroughs that form Metropolis. Since 1931, seven such bridges were built. Immense structures, some of them anchored by towers as tall as 70-story buildings, supported by cables made up of enough wire to drop a noose around the earth. 
Those bridges are the Triborough, the Verrazano, the Throg's Neck, the Marine, the Henry Hudson, the Cross Bay, and the Bronx Whitestone. Robert Moses built every one of those bridges. Scattered throughout New York stand clusters of tall apartment houses built under urban renewal programs and bearing color splashed on terraces and finials that in the 20th century American cityscape marks them as luxury dwellings. Alongside some of these clusters stand college lecture halls and dormitories. Alongside one stand five immense dingy white expanses of travertine that are Lincoln Center, the world's famous, costly, and imposing cultural center. Alongside another stands the New York Coliseum, the glowering exhibition tower whose name reveals Moses' preoccupation with achieving an immortality like that conferred on the Caesars of Rome, feeling later that he could make the comparison even more exact, he built Shea Stadium, remarking when it was completed, quote, When the Emperor Titus opened the Colosseum in 80 AD, he could have felt no happier. Once the sites of the clusters contained other buildings, factories, stores, tenements that had stood for a century, sturdy, still serviceable apartment houses, Robert Moses decided that these buildings would be torn down, and it was Robert Moses who decided that the lecture halls and the dormitories and the cultural center and the new apartment houses would be erected in their place. The eastern edge of Manhattan Island, heart of Metropolis, was completely altered between 1945 and 1958. Northward from the bulge of Corlear's Hook looms a long line of apartment houses devoid of splashes of color, hulking buildings, utilitarian, drab, unadorned. Not block after block of them, but mile after mile, appearing from across the East River like an endless wall of dull brick against the sky. Almost all of them, 95 looming over the river in the first two miles north of Corlear's Hook are public housing. They and hundreds of similar structures huddled alongside the expressways or set in rows behind the Rockaway Surf contain 148,000 apartments and 555,000 tenants, a population that is in itself a city bigger than Minneapolis. These buildings were constructed by the New York City Housing Authority, 1,082 of them between 1945 and 1958. Robert Moses was never a member of the Housing Authority, and his relationship with it was only hinted at in the press. But between 1945 and 1958, no site for public housing was selected and no brick of a public housing project laid without his approval. North of the public housing are two immense private housing developments, Stuyvesant Town and Peter Cooper Village. Moses was the dominant force in their creation, too, as he was in the creation of an even larger private housing development in the Bronx, Co-op City. And still further north along the East River stand the buildings of the United Nations headquarters. 
Moses cleared aside the obstacles to bringing to New York the closest thing a world capital the planet possesses, and he supervised its construction. When Robert Moses began building playgrounds in New York City, there were 119. When he stopped, there were 777. Under his direction, an army of men that at times during the Depression included 84,000 laborers reshaped every park in the city and then filled the parks with zoos and skating rinks, boathouses and tennis houses, bridle paths and golf courses, 288 tennis courts, and 673 baseball diamonds. Under his direction, endless convoys of trucks hauled the city's garbage into its marshes, and the garbage filled the marshes, was covered with earth and lawn, and became more parks. Long strings of barges brought the city white sand dredged from the ocean floor, and the sand was piled on mudflats to create beaches. No enumeration of the beaches, parks, apartment houses, bridges, and roads that Robert Moses himself built New York does more than suggest the immensity of the man's physical influence upon the city. For the seven years between 1946 and 1953, the seven years of plenty in public construction in the city, seven years marked by the most intensive such construction in its history, no public improvement of any type, not school or sewer, library or pier, hospital or catch basin, was built by any city agency. Even those which Robert Moses did not directly control, unless Robert Moses approved its design and location. To clear the land for these improvements, he evicted the city's people, not thousands of them, or tens of thousands, but hundreds of thousands, from their homes and tore the homes down. Neighborhoods were obliterated by his edict to make room for new neighborhoods reared at his command. Out from the heart of New York, reaching beyond the limits of the city into its vast suburbs, and thereby shaping them as well as the city, stretched long ribbons of concrete closed, unlike the expressways, to trucks and all commercial traffic, and, unlike the expressways, bordered by lawns and trees. These are the parkways. There are 416 miles of them. Robert Moses built every mile. Still within the city limits, stretching northward towards Westchester County, he built the Mashulu Parkway and the Hutchinson River Parkway. In Westchester, he built the Sawmill River Parkway, the Sprain Brook Parkway, and the Cross County Parkway. Stretching eastward towards the counties of Long Island, he built the Grand Central Parkway, the Belt Parkway, the Laurelton Parkway, the Cross Island Parkway, the Interborough Parkway. On Long Island, he built the Northern State Parkway and the Southern State Parkway, the Wontog Parkway and the Sagtacos the Sunken Meadow, and the Meadow Brook. Some of the Long Island parkways run down to the island's south shore, and then on causeways built by Robert Moses across the Great South Bay to Jones Beach, which was a barren, deserted, wind-swept sand spit when he first happened upon it in 1921, 
while exploring the bay alone in a small motorboat, and which he transformed into what might be the world's greatest oceanfront park and bathing beach. Other Long Island parkways lead to other huge parks and other great bathing beaches. Sunken Meadow, Hither Hills, Montauk, Orient Point, Fire Island, Captree, Bethpage, Wildwood, Belmont Lake, Hempstead Lake, Valley Stream, Heckscher. Robert Moses built these parks and beaches. The physical works of Robert Moses are not confined to New York and its suburbs. The largest of them are hundreds of miles from the city, stretched along the Niagara frontier and in distant reaches of New York State known to natives as the North Country. North even of Messina, a town where frost comes in August and the temperature can be 30 below by November along the St. Lawrence River. North from Messina, the land rolls barren and empty. Only an occasional farmhouse interrupts the expanse of bare fields and scraggly woods. You can drive for 20 miles without passing another car. But turn a bend in the road, and there is the St. Lawrence. And stretched across it is one of the most colossal single works of man. A structure of steel and concrete as tall as a ten-story apartment house. An apartment house as long as eleven football fields. A structure vaster by far than any of the pyramids, or in terms of bulk, of any six pyramids together. A structure so vast that thirty-two bright red turbine generators lined up on its flanks, each of them weighing fourteen tons, are only glistening specks against its dull gray massiveness. And this structure, a power dam, is only the centerpiece of Robert Moses's design to tame the wild waters of the St. Lawrence a design that includes three huge control dams built to force the river through the dam's power turbines. After the dams were built, and the steel forests of transmission towers which distribute the electricity created by water passing through turbines, Robert Moses adorned their bulk with a garland of parks, of campgrounds, picnic areas, of beaches built beside lakes that he built, and miles and miles of more parkways. And at Niagara, Robert Moses built a series of dams, parks, and parkways that made the St. Lawrence development look small. After that gargantuan excerpt, it's clear that Robert Moses was a builder who irrevocably changed the landscape of New York. And although the scores of things I just listed may sound objectively good, Many of them are doomed to be blights on the city for generations to come. Moses's massive system of roads and bridges gained some of its funding through money set aside for maintenance and improvement of the MTA, trapping New York in a car-centric cycle that will almost certainly be impossible to break free from. His influence over public housing made sure that the city's disadvantaged would live in squalid, undignified projects. He destroyed more housing than he actually built, and through his slum clearance program, expanded New York's slums exponentially. The hundreds of thousands that he evicted in order to build his massive works were almost always black, Hispanic, 
and poor. He made no considerations for them, as he did for Long Island robber barons during the construction of the northern and southern state parkways. He increased the number of parks massively, but only in neighborhoods that were white and well-off. He charged excessive parking fees and prevented the city from constructing a rail link to his Jones Beach so that the city's poor would be unable to afford a day's rest. He kept the public pool temperatures in minority neighborhoods artificially low so that they would go unused. He flattened neighborhoods, bright, happy, vibrant places to live, on a whim. Nobody would stand in the way of Robert Moses. But there was a time when he was considered an upstanding crusader for justice, equality, merit, and truth. Over the next two episodes, we'll explore his ruthless rise to power and his pathetic fall from grace. Before we end this week's episode, I'd like to leave you with a fact. Robert Moses, builder of hundreds upon hundreds of miles of roads, didn't know how to drive. Tune in next week to learn more about the man that shaped your city. This is Ellis Tucci at Hidden History, signing off.